we kicked off a new year, we began a series called Journey of Faith, uh, how to walk by faith, and looking at the journey that Israel was experiencing and what that meant in their life physically is great lessons for us spiritually. A great friend of mine, Scott Simmons from Tulsa, Oklahoma, texted me last night. Don't even know if he knew what I was preaching about, but he said, man, I love this quote. And here is the quote he shared, and I said, I'm going to use it because it fits with where we are. He said, we are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on a human journey. If you get that flipped backwards, you end up justifying the stumbling and the falling short of God's glory because I'm just a human. I mean, that's, no, no, no. In Christ, if you know Christ, he made you a new person. He made you into a spiritual being. And yes, now you're in this human experience, but God is doing a special thing. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you that that same God who saved you and began that work is the same God who will complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. When you look at that theology, it's different than what Satan throws at you. Because all of us, when we look in the mirror, we all get discouraged. We all uh, are not satisfied with perhaps where we are in the journey. And we have a tendency to conclude, well, I've just failed the Lord, or I'm not worthy, or all these toxic things that the enemy wants you to believe. I've had to go back to Philippians 1, 6 often, even this week as I was preparing the message and say, God, thank you that you don't give up, and God, thank you that you saved me, but God, thank you that you are not done with me yet, and God, that you are at work as I walk this journey of faith. Well, Israel is our example, and as we look at Israel, we will see in their history, our history. We'll see that history repeats itself, that a walk of faith is not easy. It is a roller coaster ride of ups and downs, challenges, setbacks, but God is always bringing victory. We started the journey. We remember we went back into Egypt. We saw them crying out to God. They were in bondage, just like we were in bondage before Christ. The Bible says whoever commits sin is a slave to that sin, and we're in bondage. We need to be set free. We don't need more stuff to set us free. We need the one and only who can set us free, Jesus, and he set them free. Then we see God completing that work in Israel as we study the wilderness journey, 40 years in the wilderness. What was God doing? Was he spanking them? Was he putting them in time out? No, he was growing their faith. He was developing them and completing the work that he had begun in them. So let's go where we left off. Turn in your Bibles this morning, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1. What have we covered so far? Well, we saw the Exodus out of Egypt. We saw the Red Sea experience. We saw God destroy uh, the enemy. Pharaoh and his entire army was wiped out. We saw their heart response, uh, uh, an instant response of worship, and that that's our life call. That as we walk by faith, we're to live lives of worship. And as we live this life of worship, the enemy is always still approaching, always trying to pull us back into the flesh. Well, he doesn't give up on Israel. He won't give up on you, the enemy that is, and he continues to pursue you to try to bring defeat in the everyday battles of life. Well, let's see what happens for Israel here. They have learned the lesson of living water. They've been to Marah and they've found bitter water, water that they couldn't drink even though they desperately needed water. And through that tree that was thrown in, we find God taking that which was bitter and making it sweet. We find that that's what the cross does in our life as we take up our cross daily that as we experience bitter things, it is the crucified life that allows us to experience sweetness even in bitter times. 
Now, you would think they'd be on the mountaintop. Well, what comes between every two mountains? Here comes another valley. Let's take a look at it. Verse 1. So they then set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. This was the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. As we look in, let me show you the map again, and we've put this up before. I'll just kind of show you where they are. Now you can see the big yellow arrow. They started up at the top left, leaving Egypt. They've made their way through the Red Sea there at point three, and now they're all the way down here at the bottom, two and a half months later, at this place called the Wilderness of Sin. Now don't over-symbolize that. Don't start to think, all right, well, this is where they're going to encounter sin. Sin's everywhere. It's not just in this one place on the map. Sin is everywhere. The reason it was called the Wilderness of Sin is because it was from a region of Sinai. Uh, in the region of Sinai, there were desert dwellers, and they worshipped the sun god that they called Sin. And so many believe this was a place dedicated to a sun god. That's how it got its name. But it also speaks in the reality of what we struggle with each and every day. We do struggle with sin. Here they are, and they're going to struggle. Look at it, verse 2. The whole congregation, not just some, not just the deacons, not just the priests, not just Moses, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the entire assembly with hunger. Yeah, laugh. It is, it is comical, is it not? What does God have to do for these people to finally understand God's got it? Why do we always return to our original spiritual gift of grumbling? Anybody here got the spiritual gift of grumbling? seems to come with the human nature doesn't it it's easy to grumble rather than to glorify it's easy to get bitter and forget what god does every step of the journey well they're back to grumbling again and think about what they're saying isn't it crazy how our minds can deceive us remember they forgotten two and a half months ago they were crying to god begging god to get them out of egypt oh god get us out of here now what are they saying oh man wish we were back there at least we had spam in the pot, right? Even spam was looking good to these guys. What in the world? Before we laugh at them, let's make sure we're not playing the hypocrite. Let's make sure that we don't fall into those same footsteps and that we don't take on that ministry of grumbling. Oh, man, God, you just don't deliver. God, you just don't understand. God, are you not paying attention? It's easy to go there. Notice what they're struggling with this time. Last time it was their thirst. We need water. We're thirsty. Of course you do. To live on this planet, you need hydration. You need water. What else do you need on this planet to live? Krispy Kreme donuts. I agree. Amen. All right. That's what you need if you're going to make it in this world. You need something to eat. And look at them. They're struggling now because of what? Their hunger. Their hunger. And as we look at this today, we're going to talk about our appetites. Now, if anybody can get this lesson, it ought to be Baptists who live by our appetites. Well, let me hold your place there. Let me show you the real battle. Remember what we're seeing physically in Israel in their history is a picture of what we experience spiritually as the children of God. Hold your place. We'll come back. But go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul taught the battle that goes on, not just Israel, not just in the wilderness of sin, but in the daily battle with sin. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul said, but I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. As Paul was teaching these believers, he says, you've got two realities. You've got two, two, two regions you can live in. You can live in the wilderness of sin or your flesh, or you can live in the Spirit. You can walk according to the Spirit of Christ who lives in you. That power that raised Jesus from the dead can give you victory over sin, or you can cave to sin. It's a daily battle. He goes on to say in verse 17, for the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's a picture of a battle uh, of two boxers in a ring duking it out for the championship belt of your life. And he says this, while the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, the spirit is contrary to the flesh. They're in opposition to one another to keep you from doing whatever you want. You see, walking by faith, as Paul teaches here, what Israel had to learn in the wilderness is not something we manufacture. That's what Philippians said. We don't produce faith. God does. God gives us saving faith, and then God uh, perseveres that faith, grows that faith, matures that faith as we walk through this human journey. Now we see in Galatians that as we are taking on this human journey, it is to be done as spiritual beings, that we are filled with the Spirit. We're to walk by the Spirit, and that's how you walk by faith. It's not more willpower. It's a surrendered will. It's God producing in you a godly will. It's Christ alive in you. But Satan tries to replace our faith with the flesh. Because our flesh desires everything that is unspiritual. Our flesh desires that which is natural. And this is the battle because we do have a natural body. We live in a natural world. And all of that tugs and pulls on us. All of that comes at us. So what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we deal with these hungers? How do you know what you're hungry for? What you hunger for determines where you are. If I'm hungry for the things of God, that shows I'm walking by the Spirit and walking by, uh, by, by the Lord and the Lord filling me instead of walking by my flesh. Here's what the flesh looks like. Go to verse 19. If you're hungry for these things, it shows that you're now in the flesh and not in the Spirit. They were hungering for the things of Egypt. Do you remember that? Oh, if we just had that meat that we had in the pot. If we just had that bread that we were eating every day. Oh, I know we were in bondage. I know we were miserable in our sin. But man, it was easier than trusting God. It's easier than walking by faith. And so what we do is we have a tendency to come back into the natural rather than be spiritual. Verse 19. For the deeds of the flesh are evident. These are the things we hunger for when we're in the flesh. Number one, sexual immorality. That can be heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. Or the things that are impure. Impurity would be things that are contrary to what God has declared to be pure and holy. Or it can be indecent behavior, crude talk, crude living, a crude way of experiencing your day. It can be idolatry. Idolatry is something that gets our energy and our heart more than God. That's idolatry. It can show up in the form of witchcraft. You say, whoa, whoa, witchcraft. Well, well, witchcraft in that day, they would take in drugs, they would get out of their minds, and then they would have these experiences. And people were sick of their daily lives, similar to what happens in our culture, and they would medicate. And a lot of times it would be around cultish or uh, even what would be satanic worship of that generation. 
but it was also for others that just didn't want the pain, didn't want to deal with life, and they were medicating drug-induced out-of-body experiences. Or the flesh can be about hostilities. It's hatred towards another person. It can be about issues of strife where we're in disputes or arguments. It can be jealousy, a burning anger against someone that has something you don't have. It can be outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, carousing. That's wild partying. And he goes on and says, that's not the end of the list. This is just an example and other things like this. Every one of us has a flesh zone, uh, an issue of our flesh that that draws us in more powerfully than any other area. And it's different for every person in this room. And some of us may share some commonalities and some different things. But out of the Spirit, we hunger for unrighteous things. Israel was going to have to learn you can't get what you need out of this world. You can't live a supernatural life just pursuing the natural. It is above and beyond those things. It's a new life that God gives us. Look at verse 4. Now go back into Exodus 16 verse 4. What they are experiencing in a physical hunger is, again, a picture of the battle that happens in us hungering for the wrong things. Verse 4, it says, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. We look in on this story and just like they had a thirst, God gave them supernatural provision. And just like they now have a hunger, God's going to give them a supernatural provision. There were two or three million people here in this wilderness, in the desert, and there was no place to get their water or their groceries. Uh, they couldn't dial it up. They couldn't gather it up. There was nothing, and God had to meet their needs when it seemed like there was no provision at all. Right now, you may be feeling like, man, I don't know how I can live another day. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I don't know how I'm going to make it to tomorrow. And I want you to understand, while the cupboard may look empty, while the, the issue may look dark and bleak, I want you to understand that's when God shows up the strongest. And right now, God will meet your very need, whether it's a thirst or a hunger. He'll meet your needs according to his riches and glory. So as we look at this, we find God meeting that need. In this world, in our physical life, we need water. Yes. We need food. Yes. And these are the tractions they're working through, and they're having to learn what I used to do in my old life. I needed to get water at the well. I needed to get bread in my day. Now there's none in the wilderness. In our new life in Christ, we have to learn that what we used to look to for life in this world, in our natural existence, cannot feed us, cannot feed the soul. That we have to look to God for a supernatural provision and so god is going to teach them that again through the miracle of manna they called it manna i've told you before i believe it was Krispy cream this is where it came from it was hot it was baked fresh in the morning that's where it was the hot now sign was on every morning they woke up go to verse five and then on the sixth day when they were preparing what to bring in they were to bring in twice as much why so that on the next day, there would be a day of rest. There would be a Sabbath. There would be a holy day. And as they're experiencing who God is and how God provides, they were collecting six days a week and one day a week. They were to set aside and they were already have that provision. They were to just do nothing but focus on the Lord, his power, and who he was. We can find a great example from that. And yet today, we're either working seven days a week 
or we're working six days a week and playing the other day instead of having a day of Sabbath. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your grumbling against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 8. So Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but it's against the Lord. Now, I get the grumblings. Some of you, your stomachs have already been grumbling because we've gotten to that point where we're starting to move to the noon hour, and grumblings are natural. But what do we do with the grumblings? Do we cave to the appetites of our natural man, or do we take those to the Lord and let the Lord move in that moment? In the struggle of feeling like, Lord, I hunger, uh, Lord, I'm missing something in this moment, or Lord, I'm starving, are we going to let it be fed by the natural things? Or will we let the Lord be the bread of our life? I want you to notice a couple things that they explained to the people of God. And they said this. Look at it again. You can find it in verses 7 and verse 8. They said it will be in the evening. It's at the end of the day or towards the end of the day that you will discover that God is the one who delivered you. In other words, as they went through that day, he was saying at the night, he's going to provide quail, he's going to provide this meat. And as he makes that provision, you're going to realize how faithful God is. There's sometimes during the day we wonder, God, where are you? God, how can this be going on in my day? But I want you to understand, by the end of the day, if you'll look back, you can see God's got this. You will see that God delivered you all day long. But then notice this. What about the morning time? Look at what he said about in the morning. And in the morning, you will see what? The glory of the Lord. You have two bookends. You have the morning and you have the evening. And what we see in this is the reality of God working all day long in our lives, meeting our needs, meeting the provision of the day, whatever that meaning or whatever that provision is in that day. And at the evening time, it's a time of reflection. I want to encourage you to take every evening and to stop and not just look at what's facing you the next day, not just go to bed with your head on a pillow and say, oh God, glad this day is over. But what if you took each evening and you reflected and you looked back and said, okay, God, what'd you do today? Man, Lord, I didn't even think about it, but God, you got me through that difficult meeting. Or Lord, when I was overwhelmed with my grief, Lord, you were there to be my comforter today. I wouldn't have made it today if you had not been with me in that moment. God, I didn't even see it, but now I see it, God. I see that you are my defender and you are my deliverer. But you can't have that evening experience if you don't start the day in the right way. Notice the morning time. He said, but in the morning, you will see the glory of God. Can you imagine what that was like? You're in the wilderness. Uh, it's desert. There's no restaurants. There's no fast food. There's no grocery store. There's just dry sand. And you wake up the next morning, and God, who said he would meet your every need now, has somehow, mysteriously, it's a blanket of what looks like pure white snow. That's called glazed frosting. 
You ever watch it at a Krispy Kreme joint? It just kind of dribbles down this white glaze. That's what was on the ground. And they woke up to the beauty of this, this moment. They didn't even know what it was, but they knew it was from God. And had they missed the morning experience, they would have never made it into the evening. They would have not had much to reflect on because they didn't first start the morning connecting with what God had provided. And here's what I believe is going on. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Because in America, it is proven that the majority of our culture is obese physically. You know why? Because we're eating plenty of groceries. But also what is true in our culture is it is proved by the way this culture is living that we are starving to death spiritually. Philippians 3, 18 through 20. Paul said, For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now I tell you, even as I weep, I'm broken as I think about this, that they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember what we studied last week, the tree that was thrown into the bitter water? I believe that that was a picture of the cross. It takes that which is bitter and makes it sweet. And the Bible says that you can either experience that reality, you can experience what Jesus did on the cross for you, and then you can take up your cross daily, and all things may be bitter in this world, but somehow God works it together to become sweet in your journey. Or you can be an enemy of that tree, an enemy of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Watch this. Look at verse 19. Whose God is their appetite. There it is. The hunger of this person. And I can either hunger for my Krispy Kremes or I can hunger for the glory of God. I can hunger for the things that I naturally want to ingest or I can hunger and thirst for righteousness. What if we began every morning, every single morning, not pursuing what's on our Facebook not pursuing what's on TV, not pursuing what I need to put in my belly, not pursuing a daily agenda first, but first, experiencing the glory of God, experiencing a walk with God, a connection with God, a time in His Word, a time in prayer, and letting God meet our hunger. You say, how does God do that? Well, let me show it to you. One last passage we're going to go to. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Jesus would share about this issue of our hunger. Before Christ came to this earth, we were destined to just hunger and crave for the natural. Now in Christ, that inner hunger can be satisfied. How does he do it? Verse 30, look at it. So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? If you're really this Messiah, if you're really God, as you claim to be, then what's your proof? What's your sign? Well, that's interesting. How did God prove himself to Israel in the wilderness? Through being their living water and through the provision of manna. Look at what he says. It's interesting. Jesus goes back to what we just studied in Exodus 16. Jesus himself taught about the manna. Look at it, verse 31. He said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. 
If they didn't have that provision, they would have died without that manna. Can I tell you, without God's provision every single morning, you too will spiritually shrink up, shrivel up. You too will just be heading for heaven but living a natural life. So look at what Jesus said. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. He says, think about the picture. You woke up every morning, remember our history? We were in the wilderness, our forefathers were going to die, and it rained down from heaven. It was given to us here on earth, everything we needed to survive in the wilderness. What was given to them physically, historically, was a picture of what God was doing for eternity. For Jesus wasn't just a man who was born on this earth. He came down from heaven. It's God in the flesh. He left heaven. He came down to this earth. Why? Because he, look at what he says. Watch this. They said, Lord, then give us always this bread. Just like our forefathers got, give it to us. Come on, give it to us. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. What he was saying is what you really hunger for is what you're hungering for more than anything. The reason you hunger for all these other things that Satan trying to fill you up on cheap calories, fake food, fast food. But what you really hunger for is a relationship with the one who created you. That's what you hunger for. And while, yes, their bellies needed the manna, you need the son of man for I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. I want you to underline that. I want you to look at that every day this week. Because when you find yourself hungering for something unholy, when you find yourself hungering for something naturally, and I'm not saying skip lunch today. I'm going to be right there with you. I promise I ain't missing lunch. But that isn't the bad part. The bad part is when I hunger for unholy things. When I hunger for something to satisfy my soul hunger other than Jesus. Kind of like those rice cakes. Anybody eat those rice cakes? What in the world? What in the world? Satan invented those things. Why not just say, hey, go home and eat a cardboard box? What in the world? That's not food. And the stuff we're eating in this world, the stuff we're packing in our lives is not spiritual food. The bread of life is found in a person, not in a burger, not at a grocery store, not in another relationship, not in a pill or in a bottle. It's found in a person. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you will come to me, what if every morning we said, Lord, today I come to you. Before I go out into this wilderness of sin, before I go out into this day, Lord, I start my day with the bread of life. Lord, fill me up. What if you experience the glory of God every morning? Do you think your day would be different the rest of the day? I promise you it will be. If you experience his provision, his person, if you would spend time with the Lord, you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, we'll help you with one-on-one with God. We'll help you. Just write on a communication card and say, man, I don't know how to experience the glory of God in a daily walk with God. Help me. We will. We'll find you a Bible study, and we'll help disciple you in that. Don't be ashamed of that. But don't let the enemy keep lying to you 
And don't keep living on those rice cakes. The one who believes in me will not be hungry. The one who believes in me will not be thirsty. Let's pray about it with every head bowed and every eye closed. What are you going to do with it? What's the word of God saying to your heart this morning? What, what's the challenge of your... Every one of us has an appetite issue. Every one of us hungers to glorify God, but we also hunger for things that don't glorify God. That's the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And so could we learn from Israel's story and let it change our story? Could we say, God, I'm going to make this commitment to you. God, I'm going to seek your glory, your provision, your person every morning. God, this week, every single day. It may only be for 15 minutes at first. It may expand beyond that. But at least start the day seeking the Lord before you move out into your day. And then I'm going to encourage you to take every day, do a seven-day experiment, and at the end of your day, look back and let God show you where he was meeting your every need, where he was delivering you from the lies of the enemy, from the lust of your flesh, from the wilderness of sin. In the evening, you'll see his deliverance. In the morning, you'll see his glory. Could be right now, God is revealing to you that all you are is natural. You've never been born again. You've not become a spiritual being because you've never given your life to Christ. Could be this morning that in that wilderness, you need to experience the Lord of paradise, the Lord of a promised land, the promise of eternal life. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Maybe you need to come forward or online. You need to write to us at ministry at pcbc.tv and say, man, I need a relationship with God. I'm just natural. I'm not supernatural. I don't have a walk with God. I need God to save me. We'll call you or we'll email you, however you want us to contact you. Or in this place, you can come to minister and say, I, I want to know what it means to be saved. But for those who are saved, you're the people of God. You've been delivered just like Israel had been delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh, but you're struggling and maybe you just need to say and make your chair an altar what you prayed over earlier and say Lord I commit this to you every morning and every evening this week God I commit to you to seek your glory in the morning to look back and reflect on your provision at night maybe you need a church family a church home maybe you just need somebody to pray with you you got a burden you got something that, that is overwhelming and and you just need somebody to pray with you. We've got prayer warriors that love to pray with you. What's your need this morning? Would you let God meet it? Israel had their need in the wilderness. You have yours. I have mine. Let's let God meet it. Father, meet it now in Jesus' name. Pour out from heaven your provision. And may we move from grumbling to glorifying you. In Jesus' name.